Part two, chapter thirty two of Johnny Reb and Billy Yank by Alexander Hunter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Barry Eads. Chapter thirty two An All Night Journey. In a short time we ventured to get up and stretch ourselves. It was twilight, and we had no fear of further pursuit. Thorn, leaving me in charge of the prisoners and horses, went on foot to a farmhouse whose light we could see in the distance to get his bearings. He soon returned. We then mounted, rode through the field, and entered the gloomy woods. We rode close to the prisoners, our cocked revolvers in our hands, and with every sense alert, prepared to shoot on the slightest movement they made to escape. That they did not attempt a dash for liberty surprised us. A man with nerve would certainly have gotten off, for the gloom was almost opaque, and it would have been chance shooting had any taken French leave. A ride of a mile or so brought us to a house where, on making our wishes known, a huge fire was built, a plentiful supper speedily prepared, and Reb and Yank tried to see which could eat the most. It was nip and tuck. The two girls of the house refused payment, saying the sight of three prisoners squared the bill. Once more on the road we put our cattle in a dog-trot, and rode miles and miles in the darkness, each one absorbed in his own thoughts. Once in a while the barking of a cur came through the distance. A fitful gleam from each pipe showed that all were seeking comfort from their briar-roots, so on we went, and made our way without drawing rein until the northern light had climbed to its zenith and pointed still to the polar star. Through stretches of woods where carpets of pine needles deadened the sound of footsteps, through wide ranges of field which loomed vast and obscure all around, by houses whose outlines cut the sky, up hills into valleys, until the horses, with bowed heads and weary limbs, dragged into a walk and had to be spurred to increase their slow gait. Through the long hours of travel and the many confusing crossroads, Thorne did not hesitate once, but sped along with the instinct of a Bedouin of the trackless desert. The figures of the prisoners swayed on their animals as their senses were dulled by sleep, and a sharp order now and then was necessary to bring them back to consciousness. Still onward the darkness increased, till Venus blazed resplendent on the earth. Just as the day broke we reined up at Mr. Marshall's door, that sterling old patriot whose house was every soldier's home. Now we knew that we were safe among true friends and could afford to take that rest which we were so much in need of. Giving the overburdened, overridden horses a generous feed, both prisoners and guards threw themselves on hastily constructed pallets in the parlor and were soon in deep sleep. The two daughters of our host took our pistols and kept guard over the three cavalrymen. Poor fellows! It was a useless precaution, for they were too utterly broken down to need watching. Four or five hours rest, a drink of pure peach brandy, a hearty breakfast, and we remounted, and by keeping halfway around the arc of a circle, we reached Thorne's house after traveling all day, and his anxious wife met him, rejoiced to see him safe and well. She had heard the report that we had been captured and shot. There were tears and warm kisses, too, for in those stormy times, in Mosby's Confederacy, wives seemed to love their husbands better than in the piping times of peace. Their hearts were in their mouths, so to speak, for when they bade their liege lords farewell, it was even chances that it would be final. A night's sleep made the whole party hale and hearty again. Only the prisoners still felt sore from riding bareback, which they showed by many facial contortions when they chanced to move. 
it was such practice as they had never dreamed of when they left home and would be a fruitful theme in times yet to come thorne and i now made a division of the loot we each took one horse and a mule and the arms and equipments in equal proportions we then separated he going to fredericksburg seventeen miles distant with two prisoners to deliver to the provost guard there while i wishing to visit orange courthouse determined to take the remaining prisoner along with me and place him in the care of the provost marshal so shaking hands all around we parted company and each went his own way i found my companion a sensible fellow of some twenty-three years and while not a man of education or refinement he had a good share of shrewdness and common sense and had knocked about the world a good deal in his time he had learned by experience that wise lesson which surpasseth the lore of books philosophy without which life is not worth living to the average man he took existence as he found it and did not seem to cry over his mishap he was a private in company l eighth illinois cavalry and was from cleveland ohio and his name was mccory we jogged along cosily together he telling me of his many adventures both by sea and land and he was either of a wonderfully roving temperament or else he was an accomplished liar either way he was entertaining and could sing a good song so nobody under the circumstances would be disposed to be critical i certainly was not and the twenty miles was soon gotten over just as the sun took a farewell peep over the crags of the lofty blue ridge we came to a halt at the house of mr john minor botts now i was rather uncertain whether with all of his hospitality the great virginia unionist would take in a rebel with a yankee prisoner even though the former was a kinsman the old gentleman had a violent temper and i must confess i quavered a little as i heard his heavy tread advancing how are you my boy he said in his hearty off-hand way oh i'm as the old darky said poorly thank god get off your horses and come in here bob addressing a servant near come and get the gentleman's horses come in but first introduce your comrade to me he's a prisoner sir i meekly said a what he thundered a prisoner sir i captured him near falls church why damn my soul he yelled his face growing crimson do you think i keep a prison pen no sir but i thought you entertained both sides i do but my house is not a resort for bushwhackers a hell of a fix you would get me into well mr botts what must i do ride on to culpepper no my house is open to you why don't you discharge your prisoner and come in one man would not make or break your infernal confederacy anyway no i cannot do that but i will parole him and he can get a place in the overseer's cottage you don't suppose he will be fool enough to keep it asked the great virginian as he looked askance at the illinois soldier who sat unconcernedly on his mule of course he will for if he should try to make his way across the open country some of our scouts would capture him and thinking him a spy kill him offhand the cavalryman pricked up his ears at this i guess i'll stay he said i'm safe now and i don't want to run any risk and my pay is going on all the time just as you damn please said mr botts this is the overseer's house across there tell him to make you comfortable good-bye billy until morning i said for your own good i hope you won't try to get away you don't know the country and ten chances to one some citizen rendered savage by ill-treatment will bushwhack you that's all
I tell you again, I ain't going to run no risk, and you'll find me at the house early tomorrow. So saying, he dismounted and limped in the direction of the overseer's house not a hundred yards away. I cautioned my host to look well to the safety of his stables, or he might find one of his thoroughbreds missing in the morning. He caught the hint and gave orders accordingly. I took my horse and mule to a secluded spot in the thicket near the house and fed them with my own hands. Mr. Botts came out, and linking his arm sociably within mine, led me toward the open door. I have, he said, already two guests. Who are they? One is a federal surgeon, captured by Mosby. He was carried to Culpeper and released unconditionally. The other is a lieutenant of Mosby's, who was detached to pilot him to the federal lines. Both are very bright, sociable fellows, and I anticipate a pleasant evening. But walk in. Here we are. A step carried us from the chilly air into a warm, cozy, cheerful room. A hickory fire roared up in the chimney, for there was a touch of frost in the air, and sparkled and gleamed on the cut glass and burnished silver which decked the sideboard. "'Walk up, gentlemen, and help yourselves,' said Mr. Botts. "'You will find a good choice there. If there is anything I pride myself on, it is my taste for good whiskey. I honestly believe I imbibed it with my mother's milk. Here,' he continued with a comprehensive wave of his hand, "'is a bottle of old rye left, sent me last fall by General Meade. There is some cognac which ran the blockade from Washington, and here is old peach brandy, which, according to my thinking, is the best liquor ever brewed by the hand of man. The North chose the rye, but the South stood by the peach, and tipping glasses, the healths were drunk and the glasses drained. A bountiful supper followed, and then when cigars were lighted, the whole party made themselves comfortable in Mr. Botts's library, and under the benign influence of that great tranquilizer tobacco, the conversation grew friendly and unrestrained. What was said will prove good reading in another chapter, for though but a straw, it shows and reflects the feelings of the opposite side in the last year of the war, and was taken down in my notebook almost verbatim. Mr. Botts proved himself a better prophet in national politics than he ever did when betting on a horse race in the good old times, when Eclipse and Flying Childers were kings of the turf for he invariably lost, and always had a good reason why, so good indeed to his own satisfaction, that he would scrape together another pile, and bet and lose it on the same horse with the same serene belief that only accident had destroyed his astute calculations. End of chapter 32